I hope that being here brings you moments of peace like we sang about just now. And I hope you are living your life in such a way as the days do turn into years that you will know that kind of peace that isn't beyond our understanding, that isn't the absence of strife or struggle, but peace with what is. Peace with what is right here. With the light and with the shadow, with the sorrow and with the joy. This week I had visits with two of our people, each of them aware that their death is drawing near. And neither of them afraid of that or in denial of that, but rather open to the blessings of what is right now. One of these folks is in her 90s, and the other is in her 60s. Their circumstances are quite different. And each of them is facing their reality with courage and with grace. And this is just a privilege to behold. A few years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about his father, who was getting near the the end of his own life. And this man had had not had a particularly reflective life. He was a salesman, and he embraced that life. He'd spent his years powering through, working hard, seeking after success. But the awareness that his life was getting near the end, it shook him. And it woke him up, and he started going back and exploring the faith that he had been born into and that he had dismissed as a young man. My friend, who likes to make jokes, said this about his dad. He's cramming for the final exam. (laughs) Mary Oliver concludes her poem, When Death Comes, this way. She writes, When it's over, I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. We are the inheritors of a culture that for thousands of years has separated things into pairs of opposites. A culture that teaches us to see things in duality, as either good or bad, as sacred or profane, 
that encourage us in so many ways to sort our lives into either this or that. But you know, life is more complicated than that. There's a Zen story about a farmer, and he has a horse, and one day the horse runs away. And when he hears the news, his neighbor says, that's bad news. But the farmer replies, could be good, could be bad, too soon to tell. A few days later, the horse reappears, and guess what? Another horse has followed it back. So where there was one, now the farmer has two. Most of us would call that good news, right? The farmer gives the second horse to his teenage son, who loves to ride it. But one day, this boy is thrown from the horse and he breaks his leg. And the neighbor, of course, says to the farmer, so sorry to hear your bad news. And the farmer says, could be good, could be bad, too soon to tell. Not long after that, the emperor's soldiers come through the land and they conscript, they take every able-bodied young man to go with them and fight in the war that has been raging. The farmer's son with his broken leg, he is spared. Who knows how the story will end? This month we've been reflecting on power. And I have been saying that we have more power both individually and collectively than we know. And that is true, we do. And it is also true that in some ways and in some places we are powerless. There are some things that we have no control over. A year ago, I had a month of leave, and one of the gifts of that time to reflect and rest was the realization that came completely unbidden that I am someone who tends to worry about and brood over things that I have absolutely no control over. It was like the light switch finally went on and I thought, what a waste of time and energy. So a year ago, I vowed to stop worrying about things that I can't control. And I haven't been 100% successful but this has made a real difference in my life. You know, we live in a culture that tells us you can have it all. A culture that wants us to buy things that are promised to help us escape the pain and the aggravation of everyday life. Commercial comes to mind. Some of you are old enough to remember it. It was promoting this product that was going to be a savior. Of all things, in a little plastic bottle. 
a bottle of bubble bath. Do you remember? Calgon, take me away. <laughs> Advertising has probably gotten a little slicker over the years, but it's still out there and you have to apply a certain, as they said in divinity school, hermeneutic of suspicion. You need to think, why are they trying to sell me this? Because we're surrounded by these messages, right? This time of year, pay attention. Escape to warm, away, warm, faraway places. Or a fancy car is going to solve all your problems. Or you deserve this big box of chocolate. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm all for self-care. And even for some indulgence every now and then. But there is a difference between healthy self-care and the fantasy of running away from your own life. When you stop and look at it, there is a beautiful and mysterious world right here in the midst and in the mess of our lives. Beneath our ideas of good and bad, of how things are supposed to be, our fantasy of how things are supposed to be, there is this reality that is both painful and beautiful. There is this peace that comes when you plant your feet there in your own life, in what is real. It's where I want to live, in that place of paradox and possibility could be good, could be bad, too soon to tell. Paradox is simply something that seems self-contradictory on the surface. But when you dig into it, it reveals a deeper truth, a hidden wholeness beneath the surface reality. At its best, religion invites us into paradox and nuance and relationship with ourselves and with others and with the mystery in which we live and move and have our being. I was so moved, Neil, by what you said about being more assured now of God's grace and not being so concerned about what is true as far as doctrine and those assertions that religions make. That is good religion, and it's what we're all called, and I think it's all, it's all what we're all called to make, but what we're trying to seek. At its worst, religion is a system of rules and structures designed to control people and keep them docile what Karl Marx called the opiate of the people. The UU theologian James Luther Adams said, church is a place where you get to practice what it means to be human. And this means trying to open our hearts and our minds and our arms a little bit wider, 
a little bit wider than we thought we could. Opening to the pain and to the struggle because that's how you also get to the joy and the peace. Those of you who have a prayer or meditation practice, you know something about this already. It can take a long time, but sitting with your thoughts and your feelings, facing those demons that will rise up, and being with them as best you're able, this practice will bring you to moments of unexpected peace. And those of you who are runners or do some other kind of strenuous exercise, you know about pain and struggle, right? And the joy that comes from pushing through it. When we grieve, and we all need to grieve, it's good to remember this line from Psalm 30. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Religion and poetry and parable, these can help us to get beneath the surface and in touch with what is real. They offer an antidote to the anxious and divisive world we live in, and they point us towards deeper truths. Isn't it good that we have these companions and guides here in this church and down through the ages? Like Marge Piercy, whose poem is such a fitting prayer for these days. The people I love the best jump into work head first without dallying in the shallows and swim off with sure strokes almost out of sight. They seem to become natives of that element, the black, sleek heads of seals bouncing like half-submerged balls. I love people who harness themselves an ox to a heavy cart, who pull like water buffalo with massive patience, who strain in the mud and the muck to move things forward, who do what has to be done again and again. I want to be with people who submerge in the task, who go into the fields to harvest and work in a row and pass the bags along, who stand in the line and haul in their places, who are not parlor generals and field deserters, but move in a common rhythm when the food must come in or the fire be put out. The work of the world is common as mud. Botched, it smears the hands, crumbles to dust. But the thing worth doing, done well, has a shape that satisfies clean and evident. Greek amphoras for wine or oil, hopey faces that held corn, are put in museums, but you know they were made to be used. The pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. 
So I ask you, what are you crying for these days? And what is crying out to you? Can you trust that it is holy, this voice that is in you, this voice that is calling out to you? That even when it's scary, and it will be scary sometimes, when you follow that voice, it will take you toward a place of promise and possibility where you will be in touch with your own power and with your own powerlessness, where you will find companions for the journey. Thank God for these lives that we have been given and for these fellow travelers, all of us kindred pilgrim souls, for this day and for the way that lies before us. Let us be grateful and let us be glad. Amen.